Dipping Starlight presents an interview with Phyllis Seckler, a special for the first day of the writing of the Book of the Law, Anno 07. Thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. A very warm welcome and wishes for a happy three days of writing from all of us here at Stooping Starlight HQ. Today we have a very special offering for you. The last recorded interview with Phyllis Seckler, Sora Morale by Sister Heather Schubert. Heather tells us this. At the time of this interview, we had hoped that publishing would help to create a national outlet for her theoretical, historical and biographical writings previously published in her newsletter, In the Continuum. Unfortunately, the product of the interview was buried for about seven years. During that time, and in the years after, it was initially published. Her writings and work have received much more attention and praise. As often is the case with great minds, she is no longer with us to witness this acclaim. Most of the questions for this interview came from female order members from across the country. The questions were centred around female order membership, sexism in the OTO, and the feminine magical current. During the interview, we also dealt briefly with questions about Thelemites integrating their children into the religious and cultural beliefs, including rituals, order activities and official events. I was 23 years old and the local bodymaster of Hodot's Camelionis Oasis at the time of this interview. Not only was it my first interview, but it was also my first meeting with Sora Morale. I found her to be a down-to-earth person who respected courage, honesty, dedication and hard work in others as in herself. She was also quite charming, funny, opinionated and brutally honest. I learned many things from doing this interview, among them that she truly was a magnificent woman whose accomplishment will not soon be forgotten. We should all hope to achieve half as much in our short lifetimes as this great Thelemic woman and magician. As I've edited this interview, I have come to wholly agree with Heather. I hope you enjoyed as much as I have. To follow up, I've also interviewed Molena Cornelius, who recollects and muses on her influence on Thelema and the OTO as it is today. And finally, the copyright of this audio recording is jointly owned by Heather Schubert and the International College of Thelema. All rights reserved, intcot.org. understand their importance and the reason for this is we've been 2,000 years in the paternal age and the men had the say about everything practically all over the world at least in um, those countries with some education so since we come back time after time to various lives I think some women still feel that the male has the upper hand and they don't they don't come forth and express themselves because it's still a man's world and it, just look at the uh, people who are working at work you know. mm-hmm. um, women don't get paid as highly as men and they do the same job that's still going on so we're we're going through a period when we have to um, know how to balance the sexes, sexes because it's all been male previously. Um, not only that, but women are positive on the spiritual plane, as you'll read from volume two, number six. And um, since they're already there where a man wants to go, some of them feel, why should I try to take any more trouble? And that's why, how come in, in certain periods of 
history, women have been put on pedestals. Uh, just to think about the that, uh, courts of love, for instance, mm -hmm. in the Middle Ages. And uh, in the 1800s, uh, uh, if you read some of um, the, the novels from the 1800s, you realize that where women were put on a pedestal. True, they could not go out and work. They had to stay home and have the babies and do the housework and, and um, manage the servants or whatever. And they had to marry correctly. And if they didn't, heaven help them. Because there's hardly any divorce. So they've been uh, put down. And they have, um, women have suffered a great deal over the ages the last 2,000 years, a great deal. And that's still in the psyche of some of them. They think um, OTO is a boys' club, but they don't realize that the women are the most important part of the whole thing. And when you read volume two, number six, you and read that out loud to your friends and um, then discuss it among yourselves. And look what happens in the mass. It's the woman who's being put on, on the on the, on the top of the world. Mm -hmm. And he worships. She is the voice of the elite. She always has been. Uh, in Crowley's case, for instance, men helped him get as far as to Paris. But after that, it was the women who helped him to go farther and finally cross the abyss. And he, he admits it. And that's because women, uh, naturally have this positive attitude about uh, uh, spirituality. Now, of course, in some women, <clears throat> that's been crushed entirely. Uh, and they have to learn how to come back to it, I think, in some cases. It, that is, if they're willing to try to work. Uh, now, in any case, whether it's male or female, the occult studies mean work, mm -hmm. capital, all the way through, and underline it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, now, I love, there are a great many persons who are just plain at awkward studies. They don't want to do the work. They don't want to meditate. They don't want to um, uh, discipline themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and women have had to have a lot of discipline if they have children. You can't have a child and not be disciplined. Oh, well, of course, it is possible, I suppose, in some cases. You read terrible things in the newspaper. Right. Uh, if you have children. You can't raise children. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right. If you raise them correctly, you have to discipline yourself much more. Of course, uh, the male who goes out and supports the whole family is disciplined, too, in mm -hmm. this way. But. Um, uh, I think the men forget that we bring forth the children, and we're very important in that sense also. But uh, I think even to get a very good answer to that, you have to read the, the article I made. Um, one thing that I noticed when I was looking at the Agape launch minutes is that there seemed to be a lot of um, a lot of women during that time as well. Yes, you know, almost more women than men at certain times. Or it seemed like if. If the ratio now is 49% women and 50% men, I think maybe then it might have been 51% women and 49% men, just by looking at the agape lodgments. And I know that's only one part mm -hmm. of it, but um, but that's what it seemed like to me, you know, in, in that sense. Okay, so when did you first become interested in magic? 20 years, 21 years old. Something like that. I was working in the bank. I hated the job. I didn't, I didn't like to be cut shut away from the outdoors all that day long and work with little tiny pieces of paper, pure dark drudgery. So um, I went to, to um, class and took, um, took acting from Regina Call uh, in the evenings in order to help myself get through life, so to speak. <laughs> and at the end of the um, year with her, she invited everybody to go to her house and they would put a play on 
in the attic upstairs. And um, it was actually the only time she was allowed to do that because it just ruined, that's where they had the mess. Mm -hmm. And it ruined the atmosphere. But, uh, however, I attended that one time. And <clears throat> the, uh, there's a whole bunch of us from young people, you know, from Regina's class, mm -hmm. acting class. And um, as I was about to leave, Wilfred Smith said, have you ever heard of Alistair Crowley? And I said, no. So then he recited some poetry. And I thought to myself, I've got to know these people. They're intellectual. It's just what I want. So uh, everyone was invited to come to the Mass. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did that. And I went to the Mass over and over and over again. And of course, um, it wasn't very long before I moved into the house, because they had a small room for rent. And I knew nothing about the subject of alcoholism. Nothing, absolutely. That's why I'm so interested in training people now, because I know what it's like to be just absolutely out of it. <laughs> and Wilfred would talk uh, a lot, and I could have access to the books. And I couldn't read Crowley. He was way beyond me. So I said to Wilfred, well, is it all right if I just read the stories of the room the Equinox? And he said, oh, that's all right. And, and then, of course, they, they would talk, and then Jane Wolfe was in the house. And um, I left, uh, left my job and, and, and left the house and then got married. And my husband ran away when my baby was only about two months old. So Wilfred Smith came to me and said, would you like to be our housekeeper? At that time, both Jane and um, uh, Regina were teaching, uh, acting on the WPA in the evenings. And they didn't have enough time to do the housekeeping. In fact, they always had somebody to do the housekeeping. So I said, fine, because I wanted to stay with my baby. Mm -hmm. But he said, we can't pay you anything, but we will pay the doctor bills for the baby and we'll feed you. And I said, that's OK by me. And uh, young people were coming in because of Regina's class all the time. So here I had everything I needed except money. Mm -hmm. I had um, a roof over my head, food for myself and the baby, and um, intellectual conversations. And uh, it was all right. I worked hard every day uh, as being the housekeeper. Mm -hmm. and did a lot of cooking. In fact, one year we had a stuffed pig for New Year's, a baby pig. I had to cook it. <laughs> Regina had ambitious ambitions, you know, about things. Anyhow, I stayed there for two years, and then, of course, my husband decided to come back and courted me again, so I went back to him <laughs> and left the house again. But we always went to the Mass every time we could, so mm -hmm. I had many years of attendance at the Mass. What do you think sparked your interest? I mean, you think it was just that? The tarot. I had no cards. I had no cards until finally the um, 1983, no, 1983, yeah, the tarot was finally printed. That's the first time I ever had cards. But the description of the tarot intrigued me. And I had no, no other deck, nothing. But the tarot intrigued me. Um. Who were your personal role models then? Jane, Jane Wolfe. Yeah. There was nobody else to be a role model around there. Regina had a temper. She was a real virago. And Wilfred Smith was, uh, well, as I said to Jane once, he had a dirty aura, and I couldn't take that too well. But uh, he did work very hard on keeping the OTO going and trying to get it started. And, we only had a very few people from time to time. Mm -hmm. And then uh, once in a while, Wolford would make um, sexual advances to some woman who didn't care about it, and the whole family would disappear after that. <laughs> Personal relationships should never throw you off the path. Mm -hmm. You continue in spite of everyone. 
It has to be learned. You can't be an occultist if you can't control yourself. You cannot control any entity on another plane uh, if you can't control your own body. That means a lot of yoga. Emotions, and that means a lot of interior work. And mind, and that, oh, that's worth a lot. A lot of Yes, and some people take up the um, um, advanced studies ahead of time, like the Enochian, when they're not ready for it. Mm -hmm. And, and if, they, if they get these entities into their aura without their own, without control of themselves, they're in for trouble. And I've seen this happen several times. In fact, uh, Brady and I used to get letters from persons who uh, had worked to, to get something out of the astral into, into their sphere some ways. And, uh, there's one heck of a business of trying to get rid of such stuff. Have you worked with Enochian yourself? Never. Um, the reason for that is, is I don't think I'm advanced enough. And Rigardi, uh, whom we knew for quite a while, would shake his head at these people who knew something about or tried to work with Enochian, and he'd say, Enochian is at the very end of the studies of, of the Golden Dawn. And he said these people are wheeling around with live wires and they're going to get burned. And of course, they, I've seen them get burned. Um, what about um, Goetics? Hmm? Goetia? Oh, leave it alone. <laughs> that could be the worst of all. I mean, those, those entities off, off the astral are dangerous. They're more, even more dangerous than the Enochian ones. What, what was your most intense uh, or life-changing initiation? When I first uh, contacted the Holy Guardian Angel, that was in 1952. I was in college, and I was not doing any uh, particular serious work except uh, typing some of Crowley's books for Carl Germer because he had to reproduce them some way. And I knew a little, and I don't know how much I knew. In fact, I've lost all of the, um, uh, the diaries for that time, anyhow. But you can't write about it. You can't say anything much. It's too intensive. But anyhow, that's uh, when it's when the, I'd say that was an initiatory process. Um, I'm not counting the first initiations into the OTO. Mm -hmm. That was in 1939. I've been in the OTL 60 years now. <laughs> Let's hope everybody lives that long, right? <laughs> oh, yes, <definitely>. <laughs> <laughs> We tend to notice that a lot of the women um, join the OTO via the influence of a male acquaintance. Do you think that's true? Well, I've seen it happen a lot, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I've seen the opposite happen too. The male will be interested in the alcohol, and she, the other uh, partner, won't be interested at all. Mm -hmm. Have you had um, many female students? And do you think that there are differences between male and female approaches to the polemic path? Hmm. I've um, in the College of Lima. I can remember some of the. Uh, some of the you know, big meetings we'd have here. And I'd put up about um, anywhere from 12 to 15 people. It was about even. Um, but not everybody sticks. They discover they have to work, and they go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then a few left on account of personal uh, conflict. conflict. Mm -hmm. and, and those that are really serious, uh, once they have finished the course one of the College of Thelema, have, have the option of joining the AA and the Jane Wolf branch, which I represent. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a real branch. In other words, they don't get any papers, official papers, as they're written in uh, Libra 185 and Gems from Equinox, until they have actually done the work and, and the, the person supervising has seen them do the work mm -hmm. and, and 
found through the diaries and whatnot. Well, we've had some very nice successes, more than Crowley ever had, actually. Crowley used to let people join the AA just because they wrote to him. Okay, here's the first paper, and then nothing happened. And I think about uh, uh, 85%, no, 95% of those who joined Crowley's AA failed. The AA is much harder than you would think just from reading about it. Mm -hmm. And it does mean that you do have to put your nose to the grindstone and work. And it means that uh, if, if you have to hold down a job, you have to get up in the morning several uh, minutes early and meditate. And you have to, to do um, uh, an asana, mm -hmm. and you have to be, do it for an hour uh, when you're tested. And it goes on and on like that. And the work is it's, uh, really beyond most people. But uh, the persons that we've had have gone through been very successful, and I'm very pleased that uh, uh, that we have as many as we do. So you don't think that it's necessarily so much a, a difference between the, the men and the women as it is the individual people themselves? It's the individual. individuals. Yes. Um, now, in Jane's case, she didn't join the OTO just because somebody else did, mm -hmm. as you read her story eventually. Um, she was a person on her own, and she never got married to anybody. And she never had um, uh, a boyfriend or, or a male friend that, that uh, meant everything to her or anything like that, see? She, um, both Jane and Mary Kay were uh, old maids all their life. Neither one got married. Uh, so, and part of it was the the uh, time of time of the uh, that they were born. Jane was born the same year as Crowley, for instance. She was born in 1875, mm -hmm. and so she was imbued with uh, that Victorian attitude. Do you consider the title of Scarlet Woman to be the polemic role for the female magician? No. The Scarlet Woman is even Crowley misunderstood it. Every woman that he had an affair with, which was de uh, good for him, that is, to help him get across the abyss or something, or on, on higher grades, he called a scarlet woman, including his first wife. But the scarlet woman is, well, can you explain what Nuit is? Can you explain what Babylon is? The scarlet woman is an essence of both of those. And it's something that's beyond anyone's understanding. It's a very spiritual sort of thing. And women like to dress up in red and say that they're a scarlet woman. And I like to say to them, oh, were you a mistress of Crowley's? <laughs> but that's all crazy stuff again, you see. When you have a very high spiritual thing like that occurring, an, an idea like a Baphomet or a Scarlet Woman or uh, Ankafnakansu or so on. It's an avatar. It's an avatar that belongs out of this main world, but it, it uh, certain persons take on that avatar for a time. And in Crowley's case, I think uh, some of the women behaved as a scarlet woman towards him, but as soon as the, the thing was over between the two of them, there was no more of the same thing. And I think uh, the Book of the Law says that the scarlet woman has a certain job to do. And uh, I've not seen anyone doing it yet, except maybe uh, perhaps Jane got very close to it. And, and if you want, if somebody says there's a scarlet woman, you just take up the Book of the Law, the first chapter, and in the second chapter, did you do that? Did you do this? Did you do that? <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but you think that it, it could possibly be a role that um, t that maybe that maybe these uh, like a magical role or title that women are are supposed to aspire to doing to be? Well, uh, they first have to have the knowledge and conversation of the holy guardian angel. 
and after that, follow his directions. Right, and then after that, who knows where you're going to be. And if you have the knowledge in conversation, you're way at sea, and you're nuts if you say you're a scarlet woman. Absolutely nuts. <laughs> Could you reflect on your reactions to the Whore of Babylon archetype? We just kind well, of that's, that a little that's bit. Babylon again. I just mentioned Babylon. Yeah. Can you understand the week? Can you understand Babylon? Well, you've, you're acquainted with um, uh, the vision and the voice. Mm -hmm. All right, there's your explanation of Babylon in there. There are entities on the astral about which people know nothing. The vision and the voice gives you an idea of what can be found there. But as I said, if you you do explore any of those ethers, you have to be an excellent magician, and that means control of everything that you are. And people don't control anything much. <laughs> no, the, the vision in the voice gives you the answer about Babylon. And it, it, what it is is life itself, in a way, you know, the whole of life. We all have to live under certain um, spiritual and material rules. How did you decide to dedicate yourself to being a teacher of this path? Because I, I, I went through difficult stages myself. And um, in order to do things in this area, there's something, has to be something in your karma, karmic past, that leads you to it. And some people try to jump in without taking care of some of the karma that they have to take care of. Well, there's something in my karma that just led me to it, and I, I'm a born teacher. Um, I can't help it. So this was my the greatest interest in my life was the opera. It was even greater than the interest in art. But I taught art for 20 years anyhow, and. Now, of course, I'm doing exactly what I wanted to begin with when I was first started out. But I didn't mm -hmm. know I wanted it, but I did. <laughs> Not that way. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of, um, I mean, do you think that the, I know a lot of people right now, there's a lot of discussion on whether the mass is, um, is a sexist ritual or, or a lot of people feel that way. And I know we talked about that a little bit already. Mm -hmm. No, it's not um, sexist. And they feel that it's a solar prominent ritual and that the, the mm -hmm. OTO is a solar phallic order. Well, in one sense. But you know what solar phallic means? Kundalini. And everybody has Kundalini, women and mm -hmm. men. And it's just they don't understand the terms. You can tell everybody now what that means. And maybe the women will be. <laughs> You feel better about it. <laughs> I feel better about it. <laughs> it's actually, it's not only the women. Um, recently, I responded to a post online from a, from a man who was saying that he wouldn't attend the masses because he felt they were sexist towards oh. women. So well, it's, it's, with the priestess up there on the top of the world, <laughs> pulling down the weeds. <laughs> he sure didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> You'd be to the east, I said, be found there. Somewhat of the earth. And then he worships and she brings down the weed. She is representing weed. He is representing Hadith. I just mm -hmm. read your book a lot, memorize it. And you got the clue. Not only that, but the mass itself tells you how to do the ninth degree. That's what it's for. Um, do you feel that the energy in the mass? Um, let's see. Phrases, right? <laughs> um, that the energy during the mass is directed from the people to the deacon, and the deacon's job is to kind of direct the energy from the people to the priest. No. And then the priest to the priestess. No. The other way around. The priestess is the one who births the magician, the priest. Mm -hmm. She brings him to life. Mm -hmm. She's set upon the summit of the earth. She brings all the energy through her. He sits, he just worships. And so then it comes back to the well, people yeah. when they take communion? They, yes. It, it should be, if it's astrally correct, 
that they know what they're doing, that they're absolutely correct. The priest and the priestess actually ex exude an astral atmosphere which should take in the audience. Now, if the audience is too large, it's, can't do it. And what are your thoughts on Crowley's apparent views on women? Horrible. For five years, I wouldn't read Crowley because I was so angry at his attitude towards women. And Regardy always used to laugh at him, too, <laughs> with his attitude towards women. But he was brought up in the 18, late 1800s, and, mm -hmm. and some of the women that were his concubines, or whatever you thought, um, were not exactly the best um, examples of womanhood. They had, uh, well, let's see, it was um, Alice Trail who complained she didn't want to be longer with Crowley because it was sex, 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 sex all the time, and she was sick of it. <laughs> so that's what a woman had to put up with him. That's why he had so many. Do you know what uh, Jane Wolfe's thoughts were on Crowley? What? Do you know what Jane Wolfe's thoughts were on oh, Crowley yes, as a person? Oh, yes, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They never had an affair. But she was dedicated to the women, absolutely mm -hmm. dedicated. And near the end of Crowley's life, there were only two people to, upon whom he could rely, Carl Gummer and Jane Wolfe. And um, she wrote often about things that were going on uh, in, uh, in the lodge there in Hollywood and later in Pasadena, and uh, tried to tell him what was what was what, and I've got many of her letters printed in the, the story about her. Mm -hmm. And, um, but uh, she had um, a rather strange method of communicating. She would write about somebody, and then Curly would com complain and say, you're writing about such and such people. I never met those people, and I don't know them from Adam, and I don't care. I wish you would be more specific. <laughs> Things like that, you see. But uh, Jane tried to keep Crowley and uh, knowledgeable what what was going on, and Carl too. So there were plenty of letters between between the three of them. Mm -hmm. And um, so it, it was remarkable the way Jane simply stuck to it. She, she had her own difficulties. They all had, because nobody was interested in the women in those days. She had a few students near the end, and uh, um, it was the same story all over again. They didn't want to study, they didn't want to work. There was only one student of Jane's that lasted, me. And of course, I was the only one she had in the AA anyway. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it, uh, it's all according to a person's karmic accumulation of interest in this sort of subject. That's my most recent opinion on it. And as, as far as I can see, if a person has no karmic background in this, if any sort of study, I don't care if it, if it means a Catholic or some other life or whatever, mm -hmm. or um, a priest or whatever, but if nobody has that sort of thing, then they don't last in this because it does mean that you have to be serious about the matter. Right. Mm -hmm. So you think most of your, most of your work as an AA teacher has, has been through the College of Polyman? Well, I don't put it that way. Uh, I discovered, of course, from my own experience, that people needed uh, to have a background before they tackled the AA. Mm -hmm. And so that um, remembering how I knew nothing, and how everybody with me knew nothing. I decided to have uh, a basic course, which would te teach them the basic things. Mm -hmm. And after that, they could apply, if they wanted to, to the AA, and they had a better chance of succeeding, because they had some background. Actually, uh, Crowley found the same thing in, in the Blue Equinox, I think in the last uh, nine and ten of the Equinox 2, number 9 and 10. He had some a study course that people had to go through, and then they had to be tested on that. So uh, Jim Eshelman and I put that into in the continuum. We could have, take Curly's study course and we'd test you on it. Fortunately, I never had to write a test. And then they discovered that 
They have to work even harder and harder. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right. That's what Crowley meant for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you feel if somebody is doing the work on their own, separate from any group or organization, and they achieve knowledge and conversation on their own, that they are, in a sense, a member of the AA? Well, that's in the Mass. All of those people that Crowley refers to in the Mass, <clears throat> and plenty of others who are eliminated, so to speak, have done work on their own. <clears throat> it's possible, yes. But, um, the one thing that does happen if you have no guru is that uh, you might get overbalanced. You say that um, uh, certain tasks appeal to you and you uh, forget the other tasks. Mm -hmm. Crowley um, wrote up the AA so the person would be balanced. <clears throat> he put in enough things from, from uh, Hindu and from, uh, from the uh, Western rituals, things that uh, you have to be well balanced. And a person working alone might make a mistake of unbalancing. And even, for instance, like I, I'm working on attending the rituals even though I don't care for them very much. <laughs> <laughs> I know I have to balance. I do my, every day I do my own personal ritual, every day, without fail. Mm -hmm. And um, meditate and everything like that. But I know very well I don't I don't much care for group ritual, and except for the mass, which I because I've attended that so often. Mm -hmm. But uh, I make myself attend group rituals because I, I realize I'm very deficient there. Everybody projects. And that is, but everybody expects other people to think the way they themselves think. Simply put, and it's very important because you can't be a thelemite if you think everybody is going to think the way you were thinking. Right. In other words, you have to give other people the benefit of the doubt, and you have to be uh, uh, broad-minded about the way they think, and you have to keep them alone on it, too. But if you're going to say, do it by will to be the whole of the law, you have to, you have to mean it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it isn't just an empty mm. sentence. <laughs> In the case of some men, they would rather you like everyone did yeah. their will. Uh, I guess some women too, I don't know. I haven't met some of them. <laughs> I think that um, some people also fall into the other hole of trying to always please other people. And so they... Trying to what? I've, I've always trying to please other people. And oh, yeah. So it, it, I think it's a woman it's a that might happen that quite easily because of the past paternal age. Do you feel that uh, childbirth and motherhood are initiations in their own right? Of course. <laughs> I know, I, I figured that was a simple question. <laughs> Personally, having children, I felt that was a simple question. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was a different type of initiation, of course. It's not like an initiation into the occult world. <coughs> an initiation into responsibility. It's a life yeah. initiation. <laughs> now I realize that um, since everybody has a holy guardian angel, it doesn't matter what name they give it, give to this mm. entity that they they can call it God, they can call it Christ, they can call it anything in the world they want. But really, is their own angel mm. that they're contacting. We all have our own spiritual power. Yes, exactly. And so, at least my children know all that. And But however, I never could do things like the vanishing ritual because children talk. And we yeah. don't want them to not fit into their environment. So I was very careful not to uh, act in such a way that my children would be outcasts in their own community. Mm -hmm. Do you think the OTO will ever have a female head? It better have. Then <laughs> she wanted to know if you, um, do you think it would strengthen or weaken the order? How do I know? Depends on Depends the Depends on the person, right. <laughs> have you ever met any women you feel could, could handle the job? Well, 
But there are probably plenty of women who could handle the job. If you think what the kind of nitty-gritty work, you know, what do women do usually when they're working on office? It's the nitty-gritty stuff that the boss orders them to do while he sits back and smokes a cigar. <laughs> Well, you see, the thing is, it's that willingness to work at it. And, and what the improvements they make, for instance, if they are an alcoholic, they can stop being an alcoholic. And if they're, it's written in the horoscope that they should forget all about drugs and alcohol to begin with because of a bad Neptune, um, they need to know that. And, mm -hmm. and then they need to get over it and to leave all this stuff alone forever because of what's in their horoscope. But they can't change that Neptune. And they can't change the place where the sun happens to be. Right. So that's what it means in the Book of the Law. It says, yea, deem not of change. He shall be as he are, not other. In other words, you can make improvements that will help you live life better. But you can't change the basic stuff. Yes. If I'm a Gemini, I'll always be a Gemini. If you're a Virgo, you'll always be a Virgo. If you're a Capricorn, you'll always act like a Capricorn. Uh, I wrote um, some basic stuff mm -hmm. uh, to help the students learn about their own horoscope. And um, uh, I'm drained. And then we all, we'd always have a, a guessing horoscope uh, without any name on it, or a place or a date or anything, mm -hmm. of uh, persons who were already dead. And these were persons I knew so that if they Student said the wrong thing. I could correct them about it because I, I knew already. See, and so then we had some interesting stories going around, <laughs> and and they they got some of them got to be quite good at, at uh, reading these horoscopes that they had never seen before. So that, and I, I ran out of those people. They're all gone. <laughs> I ran out of those, and I ran out of the beginning. Ninety-three. I wanted to start off and talk a little bit about your background, first of all. So what's sure. your background in magic, of Salima? When did you become interested and how? Um, I joined the OTO in 1986. Okay. So it's been 30 years in the OTO, so that's 30 years with Salima. I had done some spiritual and esoteric practices prior, um, so I come from a background of fourth way Gurdjieffian type work and um, Zen Sufism. Cool. So uh, I had explored things around, and I came to Salima in my early mid twenties. Um, someone recited the first chapter of the Book of the Law, and I was hooked. Okay. I wanted more. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, so did you have any specific? Um, how how was how was the order? How was the Lima, the Thelemic community back then? What was it like? Uh, it was fracturing. It was small. Um, Grady had died within you know a few months earlier, kind of thing. Within a year, um, membership in OTO was probably in the hundred. Or less, I don't know. Um, I was in New Orleans, so I was in the Deep South, and the closest local body was Atlanta, which is like a 15-hour drive. Mm. So, just to put it in perspective, I mean, we're a big country. Yeah. Um, so I was associated with the development of Kalili Camp with Sally Ann Glassman, who's now a well-known Voudan uh, high priestess in New Orleans, and. Um, we raised it up to Kali Lodge before I moved out here, uh, moving into Thelema Lodge when I moved out here. So I moved out in California. I've been in California since 88, summer of 88. Cool. That was, that was quick in, in New Orleans then. That was sort of a well, quick. yes. I mean, it took a few years. It took 
I, I was an associate member for almost a year before we could get an initiator. Huh. Wow. We, um, when I took my second, we did uh, an initiation weekend in Atlanta that pulled for the entire southeast and did something like 60 initiations over three days for all the Man of Earth degrees. Total bootstrap. Oh, we celebrated our first mass. None of us had ever seen one. That was kind of fun to figure out what to do. <laughs> so how, how do you think that... Um women in the order what was the how what was the climate for because i i joined in um in 2001 and back then i was the only woman in my local body but that was a very small niche body in in sweden how was how was the climate for women in the oto back in 86 88 well you're gonna have to bear with me here because i really don't quite understand why there's a situation or why there's a issue with being female at all mm. um i'm i don't do that well there were fewer women um however it's nice to know that since usgl was formed which is now 20 years we're initiating 50 50 yeah and as far as it goes now most of our local bodies are run by women or have been run by women mm. um you know i started in New Orleans, it was Sally and I and one other guy. Yeah. You know? um, so, however, of course, we're human. Hmm. So if we take away the human aspect, you know, there are misogynists in our order. You know, not as many now as there might have been once. Who cares? That was their problem, not mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's Honestly. Great. Um, you know. I don't have one, but my dick is as big as theirs. Yes. Um, so I've never bowed down to that. However, I do come from that middle generation. You know, I'm a child of the 60s. Yeah. So I was close friends with the older generation. Phyllis faced a completely different situation. Mm. In the 1930s, an unmarried woman with, 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 you know, two toddlers, what is she going to do? Yeah. You know? She was treated like a scullery maid mm. yeah. while she went to college to get her degree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so she didn't let it stop her either. No. You know, they could be assholes all they wanted. <laughs> Phyllis was a woman girt with a sword. She was an amazing individual that um, when I joined the OTO, it was not unusual for us to be centers of pestilence intentionally. It was about the book of the law. And if we were arguing philosophy or Thelema, we would be quipping out quotes from the holy books. Mm. Phyllis was the best at that. <laughs> she would just shut down the whole room with one quote that we'd all have to just sit and contemplate for a minute. You know, people want to know about the women in the OTO. The women in the OTO are the ones who do the work. We've been the ones who've always done the work and preserved the work. You know, Crowley was incredibly prolific. He didn't do the work. He dictated the work. Yeah. That's not to say that we don't get what we need out of it, you know? I enjoy it. Yeah. I never had a problem with sexism inside the OTO or inside the Lima. Just sexism inside some people. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's up to us to instruct our brothers. Yeah. There have been, throughout my career, so many rises of the, the masses sexist. Oh, hell no. Mm. You talk to any woman who sat on the altar, we know where it's coming from. Yeah. And, you know, there's reasons. I don't care that Crowley wrote it without female saints. There's a reason for that. That's fine by me. Let's make a different kind of cake. I don't yeah. care. <laughs> you know? One of my favorite roles is priest. Mm. Um, the Mass is a formula, like all of our magical formulas. It's, it works. Hmm. And it's also a formula, so it can be a plug-and-play. But if you plug-and-play too much, it's not the same formula. Nice. You know? I mean, so, but I don't find it sexist. Um, I enjoy it. I Like I say, you know, I'm one of those radicals who actually priest as well. <laughs> and I can't do that at a public mass for OTO. No. But they don't mind what I do in a private mass for OTO. No. No. So it doesn't stop me. But I understand that. The Mass is the engine of the order. It yeah. really, truly is. We celebrate weekly. 
Yeah. Our weekly masses generate a lot of our income just from donations because we certainly don't ever charge for it. Mm. And on the other hand, we're seeing a renaissance. We're getting 25, 30 communicants every week. Sometimes five of them are new people that no one ever met before because mm. they're every week, every same location. Yeah. We're turn yeah. Um but that's how people are attracted. They're either attracted or repelled or they're intrigued, you know? I'm happy to see that we're getting we've got like I'm old now, okay? I'm in my 50s. I'm not that old, but It's not that old. No, but we've got 20-somethings coming in excited. I see the the next generation down the road. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And it's exciting to see. Yeah. I love. Do you know what I love about this? Because I'm not. I'm not. I'm not young, but I'm, I'm maybe halfway between these new guys and you. And and I'm I'm becoming one of those. You know, I've been in the order for 15 years and stuff. And and I look yeah. and I go. Now all these exciting youngsters are coming, and they know so much. They know so much, and and they're far more. You know. Um, advanced than we than I ever was because I was from the wicker side and so I came in and I was like yeah whatever whatever yeah, hang around and like you sat in the corner making my priestess robe and kind of was thrown into the deep end of stuff and and now they're coming in and they just they just absorb they're really this, this new generation is just crazy look at what's out there now look hmm. at what's out there now I come from the day of barter and papyrus I come I wanted a copy of the equinox I spent 15 hours copying somebody's copy of the equinox yeah and made a master copy so we could distribute I mean this is and you asked about the women in the order that's what I think we actually owe to the women in the order the continued publication of the works yeah because when Crowley was alive it was the women who did the typing who did the labor who did the editing who did all the work when Germer was alive it was Phyllis who was typing up the vision and the voice so that mm -hmm. they could put out 50 copies on a ditto machine at a school yeah. you know yeah uh, Helen Parsons Smith with the Lima publications coming out with the Shi Yi and Crowley's writings on the Yi King um, these were the this is what the women did yeah. Wilfred Smith, yeah, he was the master of Agape Lodge. So was Jane for a very few months. <laughs> she didn't want to be, but somebody <laughs> needed to, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's it's what they did. Yeah. So let's let's um, scoop around into into uh, Phyllis. So how how did you when did you meet uh, uh, Sora Morel Phyllis? I met Phyllis probably in 1989, 1990 at the latest. I had moved out here, and of course, one of the things you do when you move out here is you visit everybody. Yeah. You know, I mean, I knew Heydrich, Jim Grabe, you know, everybody, right? Mm -hmm. So I went up and visited her in Oroville and got to know her. Um, Phyllis was an amazing individual, you know. I mean, here was a lady in her 70s, and she'd been in the OTO since, you know, 1930s. Mm -hmm. She had an insightful wit. She had a hard life, uh, but she never left the Lima. You know, even after Agape Lodge closed and everything else, she worked closely with Germer and Leffingwell and whoever was around, she was there. Yeah. Um, she only lost touch with Germer the last couple of years, unfortunately, but Sasha was Sasha, so. Yeah. So what, what, how do you, um, what do you feel was her... Um, was her role in 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 the because she's been through like three three iterations of the OTO so she's been through the uh, the, the 30s 40s um, and then the Agape Lodge and then she's been through the the, the whole rejuvenation of it yeah, yeah but also also through the like the hiatus as well uh, after Gurma dies and well during Gurma uh, and and down. So how do you think she was? What was her role in the first uh, in the first Agape Lodge as such? Well, Agape Lodge was probably a haven for her. You know, I mean, they moved in. It was that was when um, Jack had arranged to rent Pasadena, which was a sixteen-room mansion. Mm -hmm. So they were filling the rooms with various people paying pieces of rent, and uh, they allowed her to live there if she cooked and cleaned. So Phyllis, Jane, and Jane's sister, Sarah, 
took care of a 16-room mansion. Mm. <laughs> and, of course, at that point, we're talking Jane's in her 60s. Yeah. So, um... So, she, she was active there. I mean, how, her relationship with Jane, uh, how did they get to know each other? How did she... Do you know? <laughs> I'm just curious. Well, they worked, they worked together. They worked on the house together. I mean, they cooked, they cleaned, they talked. Um, Phyllis's study she was always studious phyllis phyllis was a intellectual she was a woman girt with a sword and um she got into astrology studying it with frederick mellinger mm-hmm. who was living there for a little while um mellinger is one of the other potential otos before germer died thing yeah, yeah. but it's not a contest so. no, no. <laughs> um but yeah, her and Jane formed a very close friendship, obviously. Jane was her teacher. Jane was her mentor. Um, they were up against the same thing all the women are up against. We're always up against this because it's what we do. We take care of things. We get the work done. And so, you know, sometimes you're just doing the work instead of getting the recognition or instead of being able to be creative, you have to actually do the dishes, you know, oh, and shit God. like that, you know. Um, yeah. But order well the kingdom, right? Yeah. Yeah. Malcolm comes first. Um, how how was she to? I mean, when you met her, she'd obviously uh, been through the whole rejuvenation. What was her role in that? Uh, we would not have the OTO without Phyllis. Point blank, she contacted Grady when she found out Germer died. Yeah. And she paid for Grady to come out here to the West Coast. She paid Grady's debts. She got him out here, and she helped create the OTO again. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Now, you know, the issues that eventually developed between Phyllis and Grady are the typical issues of the 1960s hippies to a 50-year-old school teacher, right? Yeah. You know? Um, Phyllis was a school teacher. You approach Phyllis from a student perspective of wanting to learn, and she expected people to be able to actually, like, write a letter, you know? Yeah. Um, she did a lot of the early correspondence, the crazy-ass shit that was coming in in the 70s written to OTO, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. the tarot was published. We were getting weirdos, and Phyllis uh, was a mystic predominantly. She was not a ceremonialist. Jack turned her off on a lot of that, but then I believe her. I've lived with ceremonialists. You know, there can be a weird, creepy feeling slinking down the stairways if mm-hmm. they've been up there all night, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but then again, I would always remind her when she'd go off about the crazy, crazy occultists that, you know, I'd go, Phyllis, Phyllis, remember, I'm a ceremonialist. She says, but you're not one of the crazy ones, Marlene. It's okay. <laughs> So how was she to work with? How was she to, you know, to to do... I loved Phyllis dearly. Um, I never had issues ever with her. When I first met her in the late 80s, I promised her that if there was ever anything she needed, just let me know. And a couple times she did, you know. Um, So I would help her with things that somebody else couldn't. But, uh, and that I'm talking about, you know, OTO initiations and Mm -hmm. shit like that. But, um... To this day, sitting here right now, I've got a shit-eating grin on my face because I remember her laughter. Mm. Phyllis had a laughter that lightened the heart, that just would ring out and change everything. She had crinkly blue eyes that when that mischievous light would get in there because you knew she was thinking about something, it was just a joy to see. So I will always remember that. Yeah. And um, I gave her a gift one year. The last time she was able to actually travel down from Oroville to the Bay Area, which is like a nine-hour drive, mm-hmm. eight-hour drive, um, I had found a film made by Jane that was a talking film, her mm-hmm. one talking. So she came down, and I showed her this old, scratchy, 1930s video of a talkie. But when Jane walked out on that stage, on that screen and started talking, and I could see her face, it was just glorious. Oh. To give her a view of her teacher again. Yeah, yeah. 
Do you think, um, do you think she, she wanted to carry on Jane's, Jane's work? Was she very, you know... Charles was carrying on Thelema. Hmm. It was more than just Jane's work. It was hmm. Crowley's work. It was in service to the AA. And she had an ability that when she taught classes, because she always taught classes. I, I was saying how she was an intellectual. You know, the College yeah. of Thelema was something that occurred because she felt like people needed grounding in the basics. Hmm. And so, yeah, she was a school marm. You know, she would give you book assignments and she would grade them with A's through F's. <laughs> you know? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, and then uh, if you attended her classes, because she would do monthly classes on astrology or this or that, there was a good likelihood that if you attended her astrology class that whatever aspects we're talking about that day might be yours. You know, she would use the examples. She would have her curricula but she knew the people in the room and she knew their charts. And so she'd be like, well, Marlene, you're going to have to watch out for this kind of an addiction in your thirties. Okay. You know, <laughs> That's and <so> cool. <laughs> it is, but you, people react to that differently. Some people really don't want to be told like that. You know, they want to be hidden in the corner. So you had to have a certain amount of chutzpah to walk into her classes. Yeah. Is she very direct? Very direct. And, yeah. And that's how you need to be. We're Thelemites. Yeah. We speak the truth to each other, right? Yeah. Right? I, um, Phyllis serialized a biography for Jane in, her, in the continuum okay. over the course of almost 20 years. Every six months she'd come out with one. And so she serialized it. And then um, I had asked her, and it was almost a decade later, when she's told me that you can do the Jane bio. Phyllis was an amazing astrologer. I said this. I swear to you that Phyllis knew for at least four years the exact day she was going to die. I worked closely with her in the last few years, very closely, you know, sorting through stuff with her and helping her move her boxes from here to here, that kind of thing. I was up there a lot and, um, at the very end there, like three months before she ended up in the hospital, she said, Marlene, come here. And she brought me into her room, and she had this sliding door cabinet, you know, like a half chest of drawers cabinet. Mm. She says, open that and take out those books. And I took out this whole row of books, and oh, my God, her diaries. Mm. Ella, 18, 18 linear feet of diaries. Oh, Phyllis's. Wow. Binders, booklets, exercise diaries. Uh, my heart fell. I, I was shaking. I had no idea what to do. I looked at her. I'm like, oh, my God. She says, do you think people might want you to use these in mine? Yeah. <laughs> Phyllis, Phyllis wrote an autobiography. And this is where I'm being called right now. I'm hoping in the next year I'm going to dive into my promise to her to do her biography yeah. with her diaries. Absolutely. It's, but can you imagine, girl, you slide open a cabinet, there's books. You take out these old books and, oh, my God, my trunk was full. <laughs> Mine would be as well. Not only because I got a paper fetish, but because... And I mean, you know, that's not counting her voluminous letters and everything else. You know, I mean, when you talk about Phyllis, she was involved in everything. Yeah. Everything in the beginning. Yeah. You know. So what what do you think the legacy is now? Apart from you know the OTOs that is today wouldn't wouldn't be here. She has she has. A, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, she was OTO for sure. Um, and, of course, you know, Temple of Salima, College of Salima, whether it's the international or the Southern California version, um, Phyllis has long-reaching influence. Do, do, you think, do you think she, what do you think her reaction <laughs> would be to see the OTO today? Um, obviously, it's all speculation. Well, think? the OTO today is not much different than the OTO was then. No, 2000. Um, at the end of Phyllis's life, some interesting things were occurring between OTO and Crowley's other org, 
to put it politely. Um, so she was pleased with what she saw of the OTO. Mm. You know, I mean, I helped make sure that 418 Lodge continued, right? You know, getting another person capable of being a lodge master in there for her kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so OTO was always important, but not as important to her as personal work, individual work yeah. um, of people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. She did, when they get really old, they don't travel as well. No. <laughs> so she couldn't go there and whip out her sword at a meeting and no. book of a law at them anymore. They didn't want to hear it anymore. Didn't you know, want now it. we have structure. Now we have Robert's Rules of Orders. Now we're an organization with a church. And that's okay. That's how we can grow. I don't like solidification of Salemic things. Right. You know, it's all about change and diversity and balance. Mm. Well, we have some amazing women, you know. Um, but once again, I think the women are usually busy doing the work. Yeah, yeah. This has been really good. Thank you so much for for going through with the tech. <laughs> Love the law. Love the law. concludes our special episode with joyous wishes of a lovely three days stooping starlight says goodbye we will return on the summer solstice love is the law love under will